Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Hopeless Romantic. I am your co-host, Austin Chant. Uh, I'm your other co-host, Amanda G. You fucked me up with that beginning, son. Yeah, I know. I know you don't love spontaneity, <laughs> but sometimes I just got to spice it up. Oh, I don't love spontaneity, just got, huh? Just got to add some zest. How dare you call me out for things I said before this podcast started? It's not like we should do preparation like professionals when we have a podcast that people listen to or anything. No. <laughs> this is a uh, uh, welcome to the roast featuring Amanda <laughs> Jean and Austin Chant, two people who are really good at podcasting. The best, the absolute best. I believe we have several topics for today and we're going to talk about them. And if you don't believe it, stick it or stick around for the rest of this episode and see if we don't talk for an hour. We will talk for an hour, but it may be uh, not the most organized podcast you've ever listened to. We have three topics and we are going to speak about them in order, Amanda Jean, or so help me God. <laughs> Do you want me to start with uh, with my general state of affairs? Yes, go, go, go. <laughs> I want it. I want it now. Fine, I'll give it to you. I'll give the people what they can. Daddy crave. wants to go to the gym tonight. <laughs> Daddy's gonna go to the gym tonight. It's You said you were gonna be home at like 5.30. We are recording. It is. We started recording at 6.15. All right, you know well, listen, we screwed over by the universe <laughs> That's and the fair. speed of my legs. That's fair. And my computer tried to fuck me, um, so. Um, in the state of affairs, two, two good things that I want to talk about in my professional life, and then one silly thing that I did to myself. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter... You may have noticed that I had an ear infection, and I just want everyone to know that I gave myself that ear infection, and not from swimming or something cool and, and like, oh, Amanda has a hobby outside of the house. No, <laughs> Amanda, like, <laughs> ripped her ear up by scratching it and got an external, an outer ear infection, uh, and then had to go to the doctor about it because it wasn't getting better. And then the day I went to the doctor, it was getting better. So it was just like, I hurt my ear. Okay, I just go home now. <laughs> Thanks for checking in. Goodbye. Yeah. My doctor gave me a piece of chocolate. It was nice. And then I left and I was like, free chocolate? Does that cancel out the time and energy and gas I spent getting here to be like, look at my dumb ear. I did this to myself. But I will say that is a market improvement from what you did to yourself several years back. Yeah, I was going to say, this is kind of a weird thing that I think now connects us spiritually, that I feel like it's not or not common for two people to have done this exact thing. I also gave myself an outer ear infection by somehow scratching my ear a couple years back and uh, didn't notice. Like, I thought I just because I had piercings that were healing at yeah. the time. And thank goodness they never got infected from this. I just assumed like, oh, my ears a little sore. It's that. And then noticed like mm, three weeks maybe after this that I, it was the like if I actually like touched that spot, which I hadn't been doing because you're not yeah, supposed you to don't. touch healing piercings. It was the most sharp needle like like excruciating pain I had ever felt. And so at that point, I went to the doctor and found out I had a staph infection. You don't fuck around. Yeah. And then that was I, I still don't know if. I got sick in connection to that or just like coincidentally caught a very bad flu very shortly after going on antibiotics. But I got so sick like the weekend after I started taking antibiotics that I thought there was like and I was pretty sick. So my judgment may have been impaired, but I thought there was a reasonable chance that I had blood poisoning or something no. bad enough that I went to urgent care and they agreed that that was bad and gave me an antibiotic shot in my butt 
And that was fun. I love that I'm going to have to tag this episode for medical triggers. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Amanda and Austin's horror show. And then I was put on a third antibiotic topical to specifically target staff. So I was on like three different antibiotics. And that same weekend, I played Everybody's Gone to the Rapture twice, <laughs> which is a very, very sad, uh, like cozy apocalypse game. People are dying suddenly of a disease that no one knows what's up with it. Um, that involves like bleeding from the nose and ears. I just remember lying on the floor in my living room, watching my roommate play the game, thinking like, this is it. I'm fucking dead. (laughs) This has all been, this is all foreshadowing in the narrative of of my life. And I'm watching this game. <laughs> what a way to go. Rip. But I was fine. I still do have a scar in my ear, though. So maybe we have sweet matching ear scars I now. Need to, I need to investigate once. I mean, it's it's like not super safe for me to like stick my finger in my ear right now. Yeah, don't don't yeah. Uh, feel the need. I've been really careful with it. And uh, I'm still amused, though. Like, I really should have gone to the doctor the first day. But I've had so many ear infections in my life. I used to swim a lot. And so I'm just like, eh, it's fine. This wasn't fine. I should have gone like day two. Instead, I was like, <laughs> I can't. But shoot. at least you didn't go week three. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair to you and I. However, if I had had like a piercing or something that was healing, it would have been harder to tell what was what. Um, because you get similar feelings of like tenderness, and it can like if your ear is feeling a little jacked up, it can affect your whole like jaw situation. So it's hard to it's hard to know what's what's the uh, healing piercing and what's the thing you did to yourself like a silly person. I will say my my situation was also exacerbated by something that I think many low income and marginalized folks can relate to. The fact that I just didn't go to the doctor very much at all at that point in my life and had never, never in my adult life gone to the doctor for an issue I was having as opposed to just a like annual checkup. And so it took me uh, and it's not like I had not been an adult for a while. I just didn't do that. And it took me going to work in one of my co-workers being like uh you should definitely go to go talk to your doctor was um, it Cora? uh no it was elliot it was it was at that point definitely like yeah you should go to the doctor and should have gone a while ago and me just being like can you just do that do i need do to I like file a petition make a special appointment and they're like no you just go to the doctor and tell them what's wrong and then they give you antibiotics yeah and i was like what okay i guess is that allowed <laughs> And then I did, and they, they gave me antibiotics. I know so many people who grew up not really going to the doctor. <laughs> no, I still remember my favorite moment from that uh, doctor visit was um, the the doctor taking a look at my ear and going, well, it's not MRSA. <laughs> and me suddenly, like, that was the moment where I was like, that was an option? <laughs> Wait a minute, I could have had MRSA this whole time? I'm going to the doctor every day from now on. <laughs> An apple a day keeps the MRSA away, or a doctor a day keeps the MRSA away. Mixed and in fairness, joke. MRSA is a staph infection, so it wasn't actually that far off. I don't know how he knew it wasn't MRSA, but oh yeah, I should. I'm. I'm. I try not to overly familiarize myself with the symptoms of MRSA because I already live an anxious enough life. But that's that seems like something. Maybe there's a specific symptom. I don't know that it's a specific symptom. It might be something to do with the way it displays mm. but it is just like i had staph staph aureus aureus i don't know actually how to pronounce that but and MRSA is just um methicillin resistant staph aureus oh yeah, yeah, yeah so it's like almost exactly the same 
they just treat it with a different uh, antibiotic. Yeah, my uh, my mom had a staph infection years and years ago after a surgery, and oh boy, can knock you on your ass. Also, yes, medical trigger warning for this episode. I didn't realize this was the third topic for the episode. <laughs> actually, fucking maladies, nasty ear stuff. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the nasty pod- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the two people who are interested in this are still listening. But yeah, I did. I did a very ridiculous thing, and like, I'm a grown adult. I go to the doctor when I need to go to the doctor. Within reason, right? Like, I, I don't have medical anxiety. I've just, I, I grew up around chronically ill people. I kind of know what needs to, like, what requires the doctor versus what doesn't. And, like, when I had a chest infection and was getting, like, wheezy breaths, I was like, should I go to the hospital doctor's office after hours nurse? And she said yes, yeah, so I did. Like, I'm responsible. I do it. But until that point, I was like, I'm not going to the fucking doctor for a cold. And then it was like, you can't breathe very well, Amanda. All right, I'm going to the ER. It's fine. Yeah, I hate going to the ER for for stuff like that because it it could keep, but I also didn't want to not breathe. Like <laughs> I don't prefer to go to the the ER and get a chest X ray, but by gosh, if I have to, I will. I do prefer to breathe. I love to breathe. Sort of it, is, it is my number one favorite activity, and I like to accomplish it with uh, grace and pizzazz ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. Although I have asthma, so well. no. <laughs> Okay, so the other things that I wanted to talk about, re-me, because this is the podcaster signed up for. Uh, So I have some cool news. I am now an articles editor at the Strange Horizons magazine. I've been reading Strange Horizons for a long time, on and off since like probably pre-2010, but I specifically remember 2010 as being when I really dove in. So you guys should actually check um, their submission requirements. Hear that, Strange Horizons editors? (laughs) (laughs) Whom I already had a... (laughs) I already had a, a, I almost said an audition with. Yes, I auditioned for my role as an editor. I I had a flute performance. (laughs) It was touching. I only spiked out the audio a couple of times and it was via Skype. So it was a little lagged. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I still had that recording of you uh, doing a shitty My Heart Will Go On recorder. I wish I still had that recorder. Oh, did you? Was it at your dad's? Probably. Yeah, it's at my dad's house. Fucking go back and steal it. Two two of them. (laughs) I'm sad that we have to cut this. Anyway, carry on. I'm I'm sorry. We need all the material we can get. I'm just just because of your, you know, I don't want to call you out directly. Uh, what podcast do you think this is, Austin? Fair. This is not this is not a podcast you go to if you have dignity and self-respect for yourself. So that's a cool thing that I'm doing and I'm excited about. And I was going to urge people who are fans of science fiction, fantasy and poetry. Um, basically, if you like speculative fiction, go on over and read their um, fiction and poetry and also check out the articles and columns and reviews because that is the area I will be matriculating in. And um, that also reminded me that I have been running uh, in conjunction with Alternating Current Press. <laughs> A call for two nonfiction anthologies. Um, one is for being LGBT in the Deep South, and the other is for growing up LGBT in a, a rural area. So if you have any nonfiction, and basically that could be anything from um, creative essays to experimental, you know, nonfiction prose uh, to whatever, um, just just not fiction. Um, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Fuck. Go, Go ahead. ahead. I just remembered that I was playing. Go on without us. We'll be <laughs> just, here. Just I'll link it in the show notes. I fucking remember. Go. 
I just remembered last night. Run. I was playing Overwatch with Macy and Cora, and I, I, I made some weird noise as I do. Oh, I think I was singing something. And I, I, I had a moment of realization that I'm weird enough that no one responds, reacts to, comments acknowledges the fact that I, in the middle of playing Overwatch, will just sing a Jonas Brothers song in a fucked up voice. Yeah. And I had a meltdown. <laughs> like, I was <laughs> trying to play Junkrat, and I just kept, I think I was trying to do the rap part, and I just lost it, because I was like, God, this is my life. Like, no one cares that I'm trying to imitate Big Rob on, on PS4 chat. Like, this is... That's the life you lead. That's the life you've set up for yourself. <laughs> the life I've set up for myself is just to just um, not comport myself like an adult human being. And also, please submit your nonfiction <laughs> <laughs> to me, Amanda Jean, an editor <laughs> over at Alternating Current. Congratulations, Thank Amanda, you. on your cool things. And I can say from personal experience, having worked with Amanda, she's a fantastic editor. I'm not like this. And uh, a lovely human being to uh, communicate with. Yep. <laughs> In a variety of situations, <laughs> but especially as an author for whom she is editing. I often wonder how, what kind of impressions people have of us via THR and via, I guess, our Twitter presences, because I think we come across in person as like well-adjusted, funny, wonderful human beings who have their lives together. And then I get on this podcast and I have like <laughs> absolutely no ability to tell people about cool things that they should do like a professional when it's my job. So I don't know. C'est la vie. Well, <laughs> what have you been reading, Austin? Well, yeah, let's talk about things we do know about in between our, you know, what are we reading right now segments? Uh, I went to Emerald City Comic Con, um, which was super rad. And I picked up a bunch of uh, comics, all of which turned out to be awesome. So I thought I would talk real quick about them because yeah. they're, yes, all queer in some way or other. I've already talked about the Beyond 2 anthology from Beyond Press um, on this podcast, but I'll mention it again. It is a it is the sequel to the original Beyond anthology, which was queer sci-fi fantasy. It is um, urban fantasy and apocalyptic fantasy centric. It is a huge, gorgeous volume, um, an anthology from a lot of different uh, queer creators it is stunning. There are stories about urban witches and there are little horror comics and dragons and things. It's just it's very good. It has something for everything. So I have really enjoyed that. Um, something for everything. Something for everyone. <laughs> you don't know. Actually, be a dragon. Dragon wants yeah. comics about them and their experiences. I also picked up uh, Letters for Lucardo. Um, which is from uh, Iron Circus Press. It is a uh, beautiful first volume of a story that I really, really want the second volume of, which is going to be a recurring theme with the rest of these, about a an older dude who's in his 60s, I believe, who is in love with a vampire who is the heir to a court of vampires. Um, and it is about them falling in love and navigating romance between somebody who is kind of in the twilight of his life and someone who is immortal. That is really cool. Yeah, and it's told, like, almost always when you get, like, the vampire falls in love with immortal stories, it's about, like, a young person. And it feels a lot more poignant and a lot more kind of urgent and meaningful with somebody who is, in fact, dealing with mortality in some way. And it's it's beautiful. Um, definitely recommend that as well. 
also picked up a the first volume of Space Battle Lunchtime. Sounds, I love that. Oni Press. I love that title. Please tell me there's porn in it. Uh, no, there's not. All right, I take it back. <laughs> you did say porn, yeah, right? Yeah, I didn't say corn. Okay, I was like, <laughs> why? <laughs> Is that what you got from that? Beyond 2 has some sexy stuff in it. Uh, Letters for Lucardo is erotica. Space Battle, Space Battle Lunchtime is uh, very pure YA. Thank you I'm very sorry. much. Uh, <laughs> it is about an Earth chef who is abducted by aliens and forced to compete on a intergalactic cooking show. And it was surprise gay. It's extremely cute. The art is wonderful and the space food is incredible. There's a little extra in the the back of the volume that says that they put out requests on Twitter for like weird food to include. And that was an amazing decision. Um, They have sketches of some of it. I'm a particular fan of the pizza orb, (laughs) which is a really good thing. It's really good. It was very inspirational to me. I liked it a lot. And it ends on such a cliffhanger and I need volume two and volume two is out, I think. Uh, and then the last one was I attended the uh, Adventure Zone fan panel. Oh, yeah. And was extremely lucky to win a copy of the uh, the arc of the Adventure Zone graphic novel, um, which is not coming out till July. And it covers the first arc of the podcast. It is so good. I I am super excited for it to come out so I can make even more people read it. Um, I devoured it in like two nights and wept. I just really want them to do the whole show. Oh my goodness, because they did the whole show. Volume, volume one is so good that I'm just sitting there like, oh my god, I want to see them do everything else. I want to see all the characters. Yeah, I badly need to see all the characters. So that one I know is that's it's from First Second Press. And I know it's, it's up for pre-order and I would definitely highly recommend it. And I feel like it's something else to say about it. Oh, I think it's just a really cool uh, it's it's really cool kind of, to kind of see the way they did the story because the Adventure Zone was a serial serial fiction of a sort, yeah. I guess, in being a D&D podcast. So where it ended up was very much not where it started. And so you can see, like, I think a very smart editorial hand in that first volume of keeping the spirit of the the first arc, but also making some changes to kind of better support and set up the rest of the story, which makes me want them to do the rest of the story even more. I'm super into it. Man, it's weird to actually talk on one of these what have you been reading lately segments. It's been so long. It's been so long. It's been 84 years. <laughs> you want to know what I've been reading? I do. I've been reading a lot. Tell us about it, Janet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have known not to do that to you. You're vulnerable I'm right vulnerable now. I'm vulnerable at all times. I'm always vulnerable to that. Um, so I am, I've been reading, I've been trying to read stuff on my Kindle because I have so much on there. It's a recurring theme, me bemoaning how many ebooks are unread. But I also kind of got a hankering to go read some Kirk Spock. So I read <laughs> a lot of Kirk Spock. I'm looking at my AO3 history and a lot happened in like two days. Amanda's been places. I went back to a, a warm and caring place that enveloped me in its um, tender embrace. Oh, so I read this really interesting story called Inside the River by, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this author name, I'm going to guess, uh, Yaka. It's Y E A K A. 
And uh, it's an arranged marriage AU uh, where Starfleet insists that their officers get married for like stability reasons, I guess. And so Jim fills out, Jim Kirk fills out a thing and is like, this is what I want in my spouse, shrugs. And Spock apparently does the same thing with much less of a shrug. And they get mashed up to each other and meet on this strange alien planet where they've been sent to essentially get married and hang out. And this alien planet is new to the Federation. So so it's still kind of like nascent in terms of its diplomacy. And they're still figuring out like how to communicate effectively. And they just send them there for their honeymoon. Yep. <laughs> the best part is like the second day they get up and like, no one is there. They're like, where's the host who like showed us to our rooms and wished us happy tidings and is apparently going to marry it, us at the end of this preemptive honeymoon where we get to know each other. And th- it's like a mystery. They're trying to figure out what happened to all of these people and whether there's something nefarious at work, if they've been tricked, if they're like in some sort of experiment. So they, they keep like venturing out from their little honeymoon honeymoon house villa thing to explore the, the local um, alien planet. And I just really liked, I love an arranged marriage. We've all met me. This is a queer romance podcast ostensibly and I love a tra- But I really liked um, that this was in character and also had some cool exploration of uh, alien life and also just trying to solve a mystery. So I really like I will link it in the show notes. (laughs) Found a fic that I read forever ago called Leave No Soul Behind by Hu Chick. I remember having read in like 2008, 2009. It was really good. It's an AU where um, Jim Kirk is in basically the equivalent of uh, Starfleet's like EMT division. Like they're very much like a, an emergency responder. You know, we show up when things hit the fan things. Things? Yep. We show up when when things hit the fan and we handle the business. And I really like that. I don't know. I really like Kirk Spock. It's one of my all-time favorite pairings, although OG Star Trek is not my favorite. That would have to go to TNG. And if anyone wants any Kirk Spock Rex. I'm here for them. I mean, ping me. I've got them. I've got the wares. <laughs> I was being internally amused uh, about us just like wrecking fanfic on the show. And then I just suddenly vividly remembered when I referenced and cited porny Overwatch fanfic in my thesis. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if I ever talked about that on this show. You but did that. Man, I really should have just put a note on that for my thesis advisor that said, please don't <laughs> check my sources. <laughs> Unless you're into that. Please, please just believe me. Yeah, when I was 17, I, I had the fucking gall, the, the unquashed, unquashed 17-year-old gall. I was supposed to write about a short story, and they it was with my favorite professor, and this was like a, a early college class. It was like a hybrid. So it was college credit, but and that made me assume like, well, college, anything goes. Like, you can do anything in college. <laughs> and so I... True. It's true. It actually is true. If I- if my recent example is anything to go by you can title you can title all your papers after kanye west lyrics sequentially um until you've had a whole song in there i decided i had just read like a a harry potter fanfic that i really liked and it was like this dark meandering like mind fuck post like trauma story and i think it was harry ron i think that was the pairing which is not something i care about so i don't know how this happened but in any case me you know bright-eyed bushy-tailed 17 year old you know me just me younger and slightly more ridiculous is like ah yes i will put on my literary um my literary analyzation goggles and write a uh, 5000 word paper on this nc17 like traumatic fucked up story 
And Amazing. I literally remember, I got an A on it, but you also need to know two things. One, the teacher emailed me back with, Amanda, yet again, I become the student and you the teacher. <laughs> 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 Which, given that I was like, and then they fuck, uh, ignore that part. <laughs> Given that I was like, I very carefully... That's just a weird thing to say to a student. Well, yes. I'm still friends with that teacher, and every once in a while, I just want to be like, Amanda, yet again. (laughs) Um, And then the other thing you need to know is that I, because of the, the weird interest that the teacher took in me and my interests participating in transformative works and analyzing that culture was added to the curriculum in that county so you're welcome i don't know if that's still a thing like maybe someone weeded it out but like you're welcome i did that that was me (laughs) i made all of you have to write fan fiction in your like strange english classes (laughs) god i wonder is that my legacy is that it i had to write Well, actually, no, several times I had to write fanfic for school. One time it was RPF, and that was extra weird. Oh, God, what was it? Who was it? Why? I don't remember their names. It was not not anything extremely modern. I don't, God, I I super do not remember their names. Um, It was a a couple from the Cold War, an American spy and a Chinese spy who had a weird... Weird relationship. Um, But yeah, it was that was a experimental fiction prompt, and... (laughs) I just remember being like, this This is just RPF you've asked me to write. You're asking me to go back and imagine these real people. And uh, how do I tag and, this? And their, their sexual relationship. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, high school. The other time was my, there was an extra credit prompt for my, my first ever English class that was to write uh, the first chapter of uh, Swan's Way by Marcel Proust in the style of Fight Club. <laughs> I, I, do you still have that? Because I want to read it. Somewhere. I don't remember it being particularly good, but I was also the only one who did that prompt. <laughs> Nobody else. No other takers. I honestly feel like that was a like a like a like not a troll prompt, but I feel like the teacher was like, this will entertain me. <laughs> this was a teacher who, like, as a rule, didn't do extra credit. And I, that was his like carrot that he dangled in front of us is like, yes, but you must write this <laughs> for the two percent of you in this class who actually read Swan's Way at any point. Because yeah, I believe that more people would have read Fight Club, but not Swan's Way. People definitely read Fight Club. I think most of the people did not, in fact, get through Swan's Way. I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. I was trying to think if I read anything else that I want to talk about, like as if as if it isn't just engaging my id. Do you have any of those like uh, pairings that even if you're not necessarily feeling the pairing, like you know, sometimes you'll have a revival of such and such fandom you'll go back and read, and even if you're not like super invested, you're like, oh yes, I remember how people world build and and you know these particular character archetypes. Do you have any of those? Because Star Star uh, Star Trek is one of them for me. Not really. Um, I'm not really into any of my like original fandoms anymore. And I tend to be pretty mercurial about my my fandom investments. That's fair. Yeah, I do. I definitely have like books and stuff. But my my fandom presence has always 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 honestly been kind of light. I, I dart in for like only specific fandoms where I like specifically want fan content. Mm-hmm. It was definitely it's it's been higher in my life. But yeah. I read I read way less fan fiction than I used to, mostly because I don't have the time. If I'm going to read, I have to dedicate it to something that might be worlds I haven't visited before. But listen, if Ostalot posts another, oh my god, Ostalot did uh, last since last time I talked about the Transformers fic that she writes. She she wrote she wrote some good shit, Austin. Nice. <laughs> she wrote a um 
what, tw- 27,000 word Megatron Optimus Prime fic that was real good. And then there was a weird, like, bondage fill that I enjoyed. I just really like, <laughs> why does everything, ooh, oh no, I already read that. I went to Ospilot's page, I was like, hey, is there anything new? <laughs> no, you've read it all. I don't know what it is about her writing in particular, but like, almost without exception, even if it's a fandom I'm unfamiliar with, I'm just like, well, shrugs, this will probably be good and work as a you know standalone fiction anyway and nine times out of ten it does i want that skill i feel like part of my problem with going back to fandoms is that i have a very shifting id and i tend to be really intensely into something and then like i just have no interest in going back to it like and i will read anything about the thing that i'm into pretty much i'll be like well this is very very bad look another copy you said Yeah, you said three of the words that I was interested in, so (laughs) I guess I'm there. And then I try to go back and I'm like, hmm, Austin, this was not good to begin with. You really can't enjoy this thing now that you're not even interested in the source material. See, I generally, I keep like a a running list. And I mean, some of this is my bookmark, but also just in my head somewhere of like, fix that were good enough to withstand the test of time. Because like, obviously, like, I'm never going to go back to like, read Glee fic, God knock on wood, literally. Uh, But I still remember like off the top of my head, like The Luckiest was really good, which actually was turned into uh, an original piece. Could you please just isolate that clip so that some day in your life when you go back and read Google <laughs> Fanfic, I can play it for you? I'm not going to tell you, but yeah. Also, I'll put mm, what you say over the top of it. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. Bullshit. I still remember the, the good authors, and if I see them pop up somewhere else, I might, you know, oh yeah, I, I like them. They were good. There's There was this one really fucking good story that would have made such a great um, YA like original stuff. And I don't think that it would have translated super well. Like sometimes you just can't shave the serial numbers off and publish that way. You just can't. It just doesn't translate. But I think that author was skilled enough to where they could have done something in that general universe uh, as original fiction. And I want to see if I can hunt them down and be like, are you interested in this? I have a lot of longstanding um, pairings that I'll go back to and read. And one of them definitely is Kirk Spock. Another one's Clark Lex. I have like, I'll go back and read Xenofic every once in a while. I think Stucky is probably going to be, Steve Bucky is going to be one of those that... I just can't go back and read Yu-Gi-Oh! Fic. <laughs> I was going to say, okay, mine are less embarrassing, but also Glee. So no, they aren't. Yeah. Yeah, welcome to hell. But at least, at least in my case, like, I'll go see if there's more like Man From U.N.C.L.E. Uh, stuff or like Person of Interest, because I really like um, Root and Shaw, which is honestly... My perfect FF pairing, and they they dead gazed it. So <sniffs> shoot me into the sun. Damn you, media. Damn media. I uh, oh, and I occasionally will go back and check the tag to see if anyone wrote any more. Uh, I almost said Prince of Tennis. Holy shit! No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> did you mean Captive Prince? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll go back into the tag. Actually, someone was posting a really good uh, AU. I think it was a like, time travel thing, and it was really good. And I read it, and I was delighted. And I'm not even into the fandoms that I have written fic for. Yeah, you haven't anymore. gone back to the one fandom that I was going to name, but won't. Yeah, yeah. Let me live. Yeah, I'm, letting, <laughs> I'm giving you privacy. I have none, but you you can retain some. Yeah, thank you. That's generous. I tend to... And it's not necessarily that I'm like, oh, that's bad now, like the fandom or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I just don't... I'm not into that anymore. It's more just like I tend to be... I feel like it tends to be 
really like personal what I'm into in that moment. And it's like something that I need personally. So then later I'm just like, oh, I, you know, I just don't I don't have that void in me right now that needs to be filled with this specific fan fiction. Yeah. And I mean, there are there are cases where I'll be into something pretty heavily for a while and then I just won't revisit that world or those authors or that pairing because I don't need to but certainly sometimes I just want to because I really I like the idea of a pairing like Kirk Spock it, it hits a lot of buttons for me and so you know if I want that dynamic sometimes that's the only place I can get it especially because it's such a weird fandom right like we have OG Kirk Spock and then we have the movies which are of varying quality and then we have um, like various expanded uh, canon and then we have the alternate um, reboot, alternate universe reboot, which is also a varying quality. So it's like, what flavor would you like? <laughs> and the types of fan fiction really vary. Like I, uh, I've read a lot of OG, like stuff that used to be in zines, um, Kirk Spock uh, fan fiction. And some of that was actually really cool and groundbreaking, but it's definitely, you can tell it was written during a completely different decade. Can You can tell just the writing style is different. See that I would almost be more into because I have a super, Super weakness for old sci-fi. It's not even that old, but like well, certain like generations. 60s, 70s. I actually do have. Um, I was never actually that into Star Trek. I like it, but I, I was never really in the fandom, and it was never. I remember my big brother watched it, but I never like watched it while it was airing or anything. But I do have a copy of The Entropy Effect by uh, Vonda McIntyre, who actually did, had. I went to a writing workshop with once. It was cool. That's me. Um, yeah, she just happened to be here for a, a small writing convention in Redmond. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so cool. Weird. It's a weird specific thing. But yeah, um, which I, I, I picked it up because people were like, this is a really gay um, official Star Trek novel. And it is, in fact. It's those things. Pretty, it's those things. Um, I still have it's <laughs> on my uh, it's on my pulp shelf. I just looked over at my my shelf. Oh, oh, funk, Funko Pops and my data pop looked at you accusingly through the yeah. through time and space across the sky. What's call. up, Data? I know who you are. <laughs> you know you know who this one iconic character is. Is Data in the one with Picard? Yes. Okay. I, I'll have you know I was preemptively pinching the bridge of my nose. <laughs> I I know very little about Beyond. Um, Can you name uh, a captain who isn't Kirk or Picard? Um, uh, Janeway. Yay! Good job. Yeah. And the other ones... <laughs> Yep, that's their I names. Can't, I can't name any more of them. I don't know any of the other ones. Wait. Hmm? Nope. <laughs> no, I thought of another one that I was like, no, I'm pretty sure that's a crew member. Uh, uh, who was it? Please play in the space I, with I can't, me. I can't name... I don't know actually what his name is Literally either. any a character dude. from Star Trek, say a name, who isn't... Worf. There you go. I'm so proud of you. I'm glad Seven that you got Janeway. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say the the captain's name from Enterprise, and then I realized I refused to acknowledge that that, that exists. But there's also Cisco, and then the um, new new series Discovery, which I have not watched Wait, yet. Wait, I thought Enterprise was Picard. No, that's the name was... of the ship. Star Trek. Wait. <laughs> So Star Trek Wait. Enterprise is like the prequel series, basically. Oh. Um, and then Star Trek The Next Generation is the one that has Picard. What's the name of the show with the Picard? The Next Generation. <laughs> Next Generation. Yeah. Okay. It has Picard and Riker and all the peeps. Riker. Riker is the one whose name I couldn't remember. And then I was pretty sure he was a... A non-captain. Non-captain, yeah. If Riker ever becomes a captain, he may have actually, I don't remember. But if Riker ever becomes a captain, God fucking forbid. I love him, but yeah. he's a mess. 
I've seen I've seen um, the first season of the original series and maybe one of the movies. And that is most of my Star Trek experience, aside from like random episodes here and there. Yeah, where you you wandered out into the living room to find me crying over Hugh, my Borg son during. Yeah, I really I'm a big fan of of most of the iterations of Star Trek. And um, it's a universe that just feels comfortable because I know it fairly well. Same with Star Wars, but like I feel weirdly alienated by new Star Wars canons. So I'm just like, whatever, I go hide over here. Yeah, Star Wars was more my my foundational. I had like, obviously I shipped Han and Leia, but that was something that happened for when I was like 8 to 12. I actually think Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, I was never really fandom-y for either of them, but that is where I would say like, those are the universes that I could go back to over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Not necessarily for shippy dynamics. Or just to like but, lounge around. But uh, yeah, and I did read um, a lot not a ton, but a fair amount of the um, Star Wars Expanded you, Universe novels. Yeah, I did too. They were they were really fucking good. <laughs> Mandalorian armor, what's up? Oh, we are we are going down a, a beautiful train anyway, of nostalgia. Yeah, nobody wants us to talk about this for the rest please, of the episode. God, please, just please name two alien races from Star Trek, and then I'll let you leave this place. Uh, the. Borg. That doesn't count because I said it like three seconds ago, but fine. I don't remember you saying that. The Klingons. <laughs> I hope you said it that way on purpose. <laughs> yes. Okay, God. Uh the um the fuck, what are they called? The 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 Tribbles. I mean, yes, that counts, I suppose. They are a sentient yeah. race of Androids also are there. Yep, that's a whole race of people, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Tribbles, I guess, count. You could have said you could have said Vulcans. Vulcans. I get Vulcans and Klingons mixed up a lot. Klingons. Klingons. <laughs> um, if you were gonna get two races mixed up, they should be Romulan and Vulcan, but whatever. So I read a lot of Kirk's Spock fanfiction, and I was really excited to see if there was any new uh, innovations in terms of what people were doing to alien junk. And the answer was no. No one's come up. No one's reinvented the wheel. No one's reinvented the the alien <laughs> genitalia like I had hoped they would. In the ninth inning, Amanda throws a curveball <laughs> into the conversation. <laughs> How is this a curveball? You know me. Uh, <laughs> of course. Austin, can you name um, two of the races from Star Trek and also uh, all five possible iterations <laughs> of Spock's dick? Uh, who's to say that he has a dick? That's very fair. Sometimes he has like a chrysanthemum thing with prehensile tendrils. Also lovely. Yeah, I'm really... Do you want to talk about craft, Amanda? <laughs> talk about the craft of alien genitalia <laughs> i mean that is for sure a future episode if our uh that one outtake about alien boning is anything to go by outtake you mean the 20 minute discussion yeah yeah it wasn't really so much an outtake as a yeah, that was more monstrous an, an accidental mini episode yeah uh, if you don't know what we're talking about on our Patreon is like a 25 minute episode where we tried to narrow down a monster that Austin could write about. And I just kept insisting that it wasn't fuckable. <laughs> yeah, Amanda was really judgmental. He wanted a weird spider person covered All with right. fur. All right, listen. And you were like, ew, they couldn't have scales. Listen. I don't want scales. What's underneath its face is terrifying. I want a spider covered in scales. Well, I don't want a spider at all, but I was I was not willing to You were like that you probably couldn't kiss their face cuz it's got like fucking pointy fang bones. I don't even remember. But I was like you I can't did kiss want it. something horrible. 
Couldn't have given me a, a sexy, awful monster. This is not the important craft discussion. Yes, it that, is. We're crafting. That I had planned for this episode. We're crafting the sexiest monster. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. No, all joking aside, we did want to talk more about craft this episode because I think both Austin and myself are working on projects right now. And that sort of opens up our minds to like, ah, yes, these are kind of universal experiences and pitfalls. Um, we wanted to tackle a question today that has has been on both of our minds, which is how do you write the story that you want to write and need to write, as opposed to all the other stories that pop up along the way, or that your brain is like, that's a better and more respectable story that you should tell instead of the nasty thing that comes out of your brain when you let it fly, which I think is probably something that's familiar to a lot of people, the struggle between like, you know, what to cut out how to narrow down the elements that really make the story click as opposed to stuff that's extraneous or maybe is great but doesn't belong in this specific story, belongs somewhere else. All the the stuff that you think is going to be crucial to the plot but it is just weighing you down. Uh yeah, let's talk about that. Um I guess do we wanna do we wanna start by giving examples that we've recently dealt with that might be like fairly vague, but you know. Kind of say like we thought we were doing X and then our brain lied to us and tried to say to do Y because it's a conniving. Yeah, it's it, it has a force of its own. I think I can even get fairly specific with some of it because I've gone through so many iterations yeah. that are not the real book. Yeah, so I've been working on um, First Singer, my Patreon funded serial, and I have had not maybe more problems with this book than any other, but I've spent more time sort of noodling on it than I have with past projects. I've mostly just been thinking about it for several years. When I really got down to to finding out like what story I was going to actually make it be, a lot of stuff got jettisoned. There were always things that I didn't necessarily love about the original version of that story, but that I never really figured out what else could be there. Um, and I think that is probably something that's familiar to a lot of writers is that feeling of like, you described it um, when we were talking about it a couple of days ago as uh, scaffolding. Yeah. You have sort of these, a lot of times they're tropes or cliches or what have you um, that you just kind of toss in there to like hold up the story. In a lot of cases, like it's just kind of like, okay, I guess that's there. And that like enables you to think about the stuff that, really excites you so you leave it there um and there was a lot of that in this story there was a lot of like geopolitical drama um that i'd thrown in there because i wanted like a the a a character driven sci-fi fantasy or just just fantasy not sci-fi just fantasy story that was the example that i could go to of like oh that's that's what makes that you know we've got game of thrones and all the rest like i guess if i want it to be character driven and smart it needs to have geopolitical drama um and it had kind of a hard to pin down but it definitely had kind of an atmosphere of more i think more uh, drama and action that was more focused around those kinds of things where i think that there is a certainly a place for that and i find that kind of thing really interesting to read about like you know, struggles for the throne and uh, border conflicts and, and wars and stuff. But I'm not actually interested in writing that at all. Yeah, it was sort of the background of the first draft of this story that I wrote a couple of years ago. It was there was just like a war on kind of in the background. Waves vaguely. Just way like, oh, you know, the war. 
and the conflict over there. And and then every time my characters got close to it, which they needed to, because one of them one of them is a sort of fantasy special ops warrior um, representing uh, one of the one of the players in this conflict that I had sort of tossed in there. So she, you know, had a lot to do with this brewing war and past conflicts. Every time I got close to it, I was just like, Ugh, I guess I guess there, I get, uh, there's a bad person from the other place and they're conniving probably. And then I guess we needed like a skirmish and stuff. And I guess probably at some point the war will have to break out because it's like Chekhov's war. You, if you put a, a border skirmish in book one. It has to shoot someone in book three. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, I finally got to a point where I was just like, why am I doing? I don't want this. I can have all these elements that I like and make this much more the kind of fantasy that compels me, um, which is much more like sword and sorcery, um, much more Dungeons and Dragons-y and have that be uh, much more of the, the central conflict. And I've been enjoying so much stripping out those elements of the world building and the conflict and replacing them with stuff that really motivates me that I'm excited about. And I feel like I always go through this process of of realizing, like, I put in all these elements just to get to the good stuff. But in reality, the good stuff isn't that exciting if it's surrounded by stuff that's just meh. You can't even get excited about it. Yeah, it's like, man, I love these characters. I wish they did anything that I was enthused about them doing. I guess it's good when they're just on screen talking to each other. But what about the rest (laughs) of the story? Maybe I'm now really psyched for the plot of my story and the expanded world and the minor characters and the plot arcs that they're going to get into. And that's such a such a better feeling. I'm really excited for this serial. I'm in the same. I mean, you, yours is on a watch. Uh, watch a watch. Yes, a watch. Yours is a watch. Uh, yours is on a much grander uh, scale, and mine is um, more urban fantasy, I suppose. But I definitely had these ideas that I put in place initially because I thought they had to be there. I was like, well, you can't have this story without these elements, and I was like, but I don't fucking care about that. And then you know, that's that's fairly that's fairly easy to you know, realize, and I'm sure I'll discover more of them as I'm writing. But what I was surprised by was how often I had had these ideas that I thought were so integral to the way that the plot and the world were going to function that ultimately weren't. And when I started looking at them, I was realizing that they would constrain me so utterly. Like I told you the example of, um, so in this story, there's, um, I'm going to keep this as minimal as possible so I don't contradict something I may change later. Um, So in the story, there's human familiars and they're fairly rare. And what they essentially do is store and refine magic that magic users can use them to store and refine their magic for. One of the other elements I was going to add to this world building was that the fluids from a familiar, like blood, tear, sweat, probably semen as well, were uh, magically potent and could be used in various like potions or, or compounds to change them or activate them and then i realized like there's already a lot of stuff going on with bodily autonomy in this story and i really don't want to have to make this poor character even more traumatized and paranoid than he is where he's Mm -hmm. just like can't sweat (laughs) might get stolen (laughs) like oh no so i i had to cut that because i thought well i thought it was like i had a a cool beat planned and i thought i could do some really neat stuff like symbolically with it and then i just realized like no this idea that you had would be good for another story but not for this one it would just do too much to this character in this world and make it I mean it's already kind of a dark book but it's this would just make it unbearable 
yeah, I feel like tonally that is where I tend to get the most vision creep. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always have to pull myself back because the, the, like writing a more serious book makes it better thing is such a real problem that I have to grapple with in my brain all the time. It's a lie. And, and being like, no, you can dial this back. And then my, this singer also gets into some gnarly stuff. I'm not saying it won't, but it, I think just in terms of thinking of how do I have to approach everything? I'm writing a story with a, a first person narrator who was extremely flippant and I didn't want to do that and have to have it be like tinted with tragedy at all times. Have her be, you know, like just using her humor to mask the pain inside. <laughs> That's in fact true at some points, but I didn't want it to have that vibe of just like, Actually, the world is a dismal hellscape. I don't want to simmer in that as a reader. And and the humor is just tainted with the knowledge that it's the only thing keeping her from crying. It's like like yellow humor, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't want to have that vibe. I want to have a vibe of a world where people can laugh and people can cry and bad things can happen and good things can happen. And this is how some people cope with the bad things that have happened in their life. But it's not a, an indictment of the world because I want to create a fairly hopeful and uplifting fantasy story, um, even if it goes to some dark places. But it's shockingly hard to actually commit to that. I had to um, there was one day where I was just like not excited about any part of the book. I was trying to think through a plot point and I was finally like it's because I've it's gotten so grim. I uh, sat down and I just wrote a list of like, in, in very simple terms, like what appeals to me about this story and what do I want it to be? And the first item at the top of the list was like laughter. I want it to be funny and and I, I want it to be something that people can laugh along with and, and have a good time with. I have since had to come back to that list just over and over and over. Pretty much like not a day or plotting session goes by where I don't have to remind myself like, what is the point again? Oh, yeah. What do you want to do with this? Please make your decisions informed by that and not by this specter of like what a good or better book is, because otherwise it's just this constant creep back into what if you took this really seriously? What if you acknowledge this as art and art involves suffering and art? Yeah, art with it. <laughs> I was having a similar thing with the tone of Familiaris because there's just a lot of dark stuff in it. It's not like grimdark and it's not unrepentantly just like be miserable because that it would defeat the romance I'm putting in it but there's definitely elements like stuff that I'm gonna have to trigger warn for and I was like on top of that I don't need to have these two people mired in just humorless um misery misery because frankly like no one wants to read that and also it's not fun to write and I remember noticing that I was getting I was edging them into that territory I was edging them into edgelords eh? hey. uh, because I had had a a thought about how one of the characters who's been raised in privilege is now kind of on the run and I was like oh you know poor him he doesn't have any of his K-beauty products his K Korean beauty products and his skin looks like shit and I was like that's too irreverent what and I was like what the fuck are you talking about like <laughs> too irreverent to put in like an aside about like beauty products no it's not you have to put it in now because i just i can't fathom i can't fathom anyone wanting to read my my just trudge through misery that has like some sad sex in it i guess like no and i think <laughs> it's easy to like i know that we think in terms of what our broader concepts are going to be and like how we're going to i mean i don't want to say moralize but like what themes uh we have going on like our our, our big themes and our personal themes and for me these are these are kind of personal awakening awake 
awakenings and and like about doing ceasing doing harm to other people or uh discouraging others from doing harm so like that can get pretty serious but at the end of the day like i'm not gonna give anyone a tragedy and hope that they learn from that that's not what the genre is for and that's not really what i'm skilled at so i have to remind i have to constantly remind myself that i am not an edgelord i also think when you're talking about like what principles you want to put into a piece of work I think it's useful to bring those principles into all kinds of different stories because in life we don't live in a constant state of like heightened drama and tragedy. I hope not. God, I hope not. Um, but like not in the way that media does pretty much ever. We just don't live like that. And I think it's important to see those principles reflected and modeled in stories that are maybe more relatable to the everyday and to characters being, you know, humorous, irreverent, being little shits and yeah. just going about their lives, not necessarily going about their ordinary lives, because that's also not exciting fiction. But like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. just not needing to only have principles be reflected in stories that are grimdark, because there's so much room for principles everywhere, because principles are in like, everything you do and every every way that you operate it's in how you tweet it's how you the choices that how you, you eat make. breakfast in the morning how you like go to the grocery store whatever my examples are twitter and food <laughs> i know what you please, do please austin do something else with your life <laughs> daddy's going to the gym tonight oh yeah um yeah i i noticed the, the you know that when you're writing and you're thinking about like big pictures and beats and, and what you want to do thematically, it's really easy to slip into these high stakes headspaces. And you should think that way because it's fictional and it's dramatic and you want to engage the audience's interest. But frankly, not every moment can be filled with that level of like textual, not every aspect of your book or your piece of work has to be beholden to that theme and in fact you should have other stuff in there like i don't care if uh you are writing grimdark you have to have something of like the mundanity between real people again like i don't want to say like put humor in something dark and that'll make it acceptable no that's not it but if you you have to look away from your your i don't know what i'm i'm trying to figure out how to articulate this and i'm doing it very poorly let me start over it's hard to articulate i'm let's struggle together yeah, let's, let's let's fight our way through the fog yeah i just feel like when we have have these high stakes and when we've really looked at our themes it can be easy to wrap ourselves up in the meta of that and not look at what's some fun stuff we can do mm -hmm. um, what's some other ways we can imbue other tones and other references and other themes in here and not everything has to be in service to that i suggested one of my major themes is um helping other people and ceasing to do harm to others like it's very much um you know the needs of the many do not outweigh the needs of the few but like i don't want to have to constantly have that in my head on a loop while i'm writing especially if i'm writing like the the characters bickering at each other like that's not the point this is just something that i hope that the culmination of all of these different sort of sub themes and moments will add up to a mosaic that if you stand back from it it's like oh okay i think i think this i think this story was was trying to tell me a little bit of something about how uh we should think about other people not that i hammered you over the head with it in literally every line everything was subtext yeah and i think too like there are stories that are stories that are better told and themes that are better surfaced by lighter stories and by like by levity there there are just things that are easier to portray you can't tell everything through a grimdark lens i was thinking just like a personal example of something that i'm 
thankfully done writing uh, was Peter Darling, where it was originally so much grimmer than it's than it ended up. And like the conflict between Hook and Peter was originally like really nasty, nasty in terms of like its implications and how violent it was and how uh, past the point of no return. Yeah. Yeah, it was past the point of no return. It was and it dealt way more directly with like internalized homophobia for Peter's character in ways that were just not necessary. And they they undermined the story that I actually wanted to tell, which was like this much more playful kind of back and forth that is all is in my mind, like kind of like BDSM themed, like they're they're playing together. Mm-hmm. They're 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 doing some scenes, maybe. <laughs> and and that story was better that story was was smothered by the how grimdark it was originally yeah, that breathe. story was it, it, it there was no way i could have made that point about like doing things for other people and building stories together and that kind of thing when it was when the stories were so horrible yeah not that it not that you couldn't do that but i definitely couldn't have done that and then have it be like and that's a good thing at the end of the day it was a good relationship <laughs> <laughs> You could do that in like sort of a tragic way, but I didn't want it to be a tragic way. And and I think it, it's just a different story. So it comes down to like, what do you actually want to tell here? If you want to make if you want to write a tragedy, fucking go for it. Not against tragedies. But I just think we have sort of a, a weird bias against everything else sometimes, especially when it comes to queer shit. Yeah, I also I think that ties in with the idea that so much of sort of mainstream stories about, for example, queer people ends in tragedy or suffering or death that's manufactured to elicit empathy, presumably from the audience, but really it just others and victimizes people. And I feel like that can is similar to the way that, you know, I'm trying to garner empathy and understanding and feelings from an audience. So I'm just hitting the same hammer on the same button over and over again. It's like grimdark, 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 serious fiction tragedy and you can do that but you also need to be aware of the fact that this is one note and you're going to play it out and i don't necessarily want to make my audience care about my characters just because they suffered appropriately or or just because they never managed to reach their personal goals and like that can be interesting and you can have that in a light-hearted story it's just that uh, at the end of the day, I don't want necessarily pity, and I don't want yeah, that sort of... Yeah, I was of... going to say, pity is not the reason I want people to find my characters compelling. Pretty much ever. Yeah. And it's not that that can't be a, a compelling thing, but that, for me, is not compelling. That makes me kind of shut down. And it feels manipulative, um, uh, and I know that yeah. I feel manipulated when I'm reading something that's just so endlessly... You, you feel hopeless for these characters, and that that's part of why you, you care about them, or they're just so badly treated by the narrative that you like them in spite of it. Um, that's happened to me yeah to be in like horror movies and shit when they set someone up to be egregious they're like look at this like blonde bimbo who's too stupid to live and like slutty and yeah. whatever and i'm like i love her i will i love her i'll protect her with my yeah. life yeah. yeah no i feel that I, I it's one of the reasons i can't watch slasher movies a lot of the time because if i see characters being set up to die I'm like, well, now I want them to live. How dare you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not the point of that 
narrative. Yeah, I don't like, I don't want you to be rooting for my character because you don't want them to die. I want you to be rooting for my character because you find them interesting or whatever. You know, not even it, not even that the stakes have to be that high, but I would rather you wanted to them wanted them to succeed and be happy on their own merit, not just because the alternative is a pit full of sharks. My readers to feel comfortable being like, "Man, this character's kind of a shit." Yeah, that's it like, too. I, is I really like odious <laughs> people. <laughs> yeah, I want them to be comfortable being like that was a questionable decision or like, man, you were kind of a jerk back there (laughs) and not have it be like, and that's why they deserve to perish. But like, man, I hope this character grows and learns. And isn't uh, isn't punished on, because I I feel like punishment can be a useful thing, like for character growth in stories. And some, you know, sometimes you want to see like a villain punished, but also like sometimes you do want to sort of dangle your your character over a shark pit and see what they learn. They shouldn't just be strung up in front of that shark pit for for, um, catharsis too long. Like that's not, I don't want... I don't want it to be like vindictive glee that where we see the audience uh, like this character because of comeuppance or whatever, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Absolutely. I feel like we've we've discussed some good lessons here. <laughs> First and foremost, being like, think about what you want, mm-hmm. because it's not necessarily that we're saying like, oh, we know what how characters should be written. We're saying like for us these this is not what we want to do that's going to vary like there's there's going to be aspects where amanda and i differ on how we want to tell stories and there are certainly lots of writers that i love who clearly want to do very different things with their fiction yeah i think it's really valuable to just sit down and be like leaving aside what i think is good or what i think is important or serious or a mark of real literature what do i actually desire to do and be true to that because that comes from you and that is unique and cool. I think that that's important too when you're revising is if you realize you're missing something from the narrative, you don't have to add like, oh, I need a crisis beat. Oh, I need, you know, more more overt antagonism. You don't have to sacrifice your style and your ideals and the things that you like just because you feel like you're missing some narrative beat. You can work within those parameters and find something that you're happy with. And I know, I mean, I've fallen into a trap as an author and as an editor where I'm like, it needs XYZ, but you can't be that concrete about it. You have to say, especially if you're the other person giving feedback, like, well, I think that you could use a little bit more tension in the end of act one. So how do you think you could do that? How can we do this without betraying the types of characters and the types of story that you want to tell. Um, I know that you've dealt with, you know, struggling with like, oh, I need to add something to this manuscript, but, and these are all like valid ideas. Like people have given me, this is how you could, you could make it more exciting or you could tie these things together. And it's like, yeah, but that's not the story I want to tell. Yeah. That's not how I want to tell it. It's a perfectly valid idea for someone else's story. But you were aware that at the heart of it, like, okay, I do need to do something different here. It just doesn't have to be. I remember one that came up was, um, Caroline's heart, there was a, there's a, a Cecily saves Roy's life um, towards the beginning. And I remember one of the suggestions, and I don't remember, I had a lot of <laughs> editors on that book, and you were one of them. I don't remember who whose suggestion it was, but it was like, I want there to be more, you know, like maybe she has more like responsibility for him. Having been shot. Um, having been shot. Or maybe she struggles more with the decision to actually help him because it comes at personal cost to her. And one of my hard lines was, I want her to be the kind of person who, in a crisis, would save a stranger's life no matter what the cost to her. Yeah. I don't want this to be manufactured in such a way that it seems like she only does this because 
she she's feels responsible. responsible. I want this to be something that comes from her soul. Like she's the kind of person who would do this despite being kind of aloof mm-hmm. um, because I wanted that dichotomy in her character of she doesn't connect with people, but also would do anything for them if they were, she in would need. do anything for a stranger that she saw in need. And that was really, really important to me. And that wasn't, that didn't change the fact that something needed to be altered there. And it was, but yeah, and it, and it was, that was a line for me. And I'm glad that I stuck to that line because that was something that would have changed the character and it would have changed what I wanted to do with that story. I think it's important to know that you can be true to like making your story more exciting and interesting while also being true to the things that are really important to you. That's not like an either or. Yeah. And sometimes you can challenge yourself to find things that are unique to your vision of the character or your vision of the world by saying, okay, well, they wouldn't do X, but what would they do? Mm -hmm. Like within these, I I feel like sometimes you're the most creative when you have constraints because you have to find unique solutions. And so, and uh, that's, one of the ways where I I find mine is I say, okay, well, I have the sort of parameter of what my character will and won't do. So how do I how do I make this character who would never do this do it? Or how do I how do I set them on this journey that they would never go on, but have it be like a consensual thing? Like, how would they change their mind? Uh, I'm actually going through that right now, because I'm doing some dev edits for stories for written in the stars. And like, I'm at a point where I see some fundamental structural changes that need to happen. But I'm trying to construct my comments in a way that's like, Hey, I don't need to tell you what to do. I just need to tell you that there's stuff missing and here's some options. These are things you could do. Please feel free to think about them. You know, augment it with your own stuff. Change it. I don't care. I'm not attached to the specific changes that I'm giving you unless it's like an ism or something, in which case I am. But I I think that you need more tension here. I think you need more logic here. Like I, I need these specific things. It's up to you to design them and I'm happy to have you toss ideas back and forth. Um, and I think that that's really the only reasonable way to uh, edit uh, for others and I guess yourself too is to just say like, okay, there's something missing here. I'm not going to dictate to you exactly how you fix it or add it in. And I can't say that I've done that 150% of the time. I'm human. I'm sure I've fucked up and not been conscientious enough in my comment to say like, it doesn't really matter how you fix it. So long as you fix it. You don't have to take my word for it. Frequently, you get you get kind of ahead of yourself. You're like, oh, I just thought of something I, they could do here. And you'll tell them and you, you'll forget to add a note that's like, also, you don't have to do this verbatim. <laughs> this was an idea I had. This is just an example. I'm usually pretty good about it, but I'm sure I've, I've, I've uh, inadvertently ticked someone off or hurt someone by being a little too strident with my suggestions. But I think that that is a good way to look at when you're plotting or changing things as you go along is like, okay, my idea for the story, the original parameters, what can I do within those to hit the beats that I need to make without manufacturing, like without literally being like, and then a gun went off, like yeah. <laughs> without introducing just false, you know, conflict or, or the hand of God or whatever. Because the most interesting thing is when it comes from characterization and pushing the boundaries and limits of your own characters to see what new and interesting things they will come up with, because that's already fucking happened. And I'm still in the outlining phase. <laughs> Can't wait till they get on the page and start fucking me for real. <laughs> I know one of them, I, I have a feeling like one of them's gonna, like the one that I think is tricky now is it like Felix he's gonna be fine but Raul is gonna be like oh you thought you knew me it was a lie this whole time I was hiding it from you (laughs) I was having trouble with the the very beginning of Singer because the every version of the beginning I came up with relied on the love interest um, Iridia being not not savvy in the world 
she she's extremely smart and extremely savvy and like a military woman who knows tactics and all this (laughs) stuff i kept having to be like she would not have fallen into that trap she just wouldn't be there she wouldn't have gone alone she wouldn't have fallen for this she wouldn't believe that she if she saw that she would have turned around just so many things where i i just had to i had to be true to not making that kind of artificial conflict and coming up with stuff that she would fall into that made sense and validated that character and 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 was true to her while also getting this getting the drama that I needed because it was like I would I would come up with something and be like well that's not dangerous enough that's too safe or that just doesn't have stakes that won't play but also I can't do this other thing that means like diminishing the power that is in my main characters yeah, it's, it's hard because sometimes you will be tempted because this happens when you wrestle with a manuscript. You'll be tempted to march them through those circumstances anyway because you think it has to happen. You're like, look, I, I realize that my character wouldn't do this, but maybe I can find a unique reason. Like maybe I can hand mm-hmm. wave it so that they do it anyway because I need them to be in this crisis. I need them to be in this danger. And it's like, mm, no, mm, don't do that. We can tell that you're doing this. And also it devalues the, the power and agency of your character. So find something else. It, it feels very like in the horror movie where you're sitting there going like, don't go in there. Yeah. Don't do that unless you are writing a horror movie, in which case I think you have some extra leeway. But it, even then, like yeah. we all expect even then, some some even work. then it's nice to have characters in horror who get into trouble. Like it's scarier if characters actually like tropes and make a certain amount of smart choices and still get into danger yeah. as opposed to just being like, I can't find my friend. I guess I'll go outside with no light and no clothes on. And fall down a ravine. <laughs> Run away barefoot. Oh, these are the wolf, <laughs> the wolf and bear woods, and I hear the howling out there. I'm gonna run well, straight into it. I'll just I I get I bet they won't see me if I run really fast through through the bushes, crushing every twig. <laughs> yeah. There's no stealth. One of my one of the reasons why I think the ring and Ringu uh, there will be spoilers for these very old uh, <laughs> at this point um, movies is uh, one of the reasons I think it's so effective is because um, ultimately the main character does everything correct. Like they think that they've solved the mystery, like they've found the body of Samara or Sadako, and they've sort of put her to rest. Which in traditional like horror ghost narratives would mean that you know she has been avenged, her unfinished business is they over. Did it. Like they, they did it. They, they solved did it. it. Right. It's actually that's not it. Like they were savvy. They figured it out. They did what they had to. And it. she was still, you know, she was still Sadakoing it up and killing people. Uh, and you find out that the only reason uh, the main character lived was because she had made a copy of the tape and her, uh, I think, ex-boyfriend, ex-husband, whatever. The, it's been a while since I've seen either of them. Um, uh, the reason he hadn't lived was because he hadn't made a copy of the tape, even though he had been there to uh, find sadako slash samara's body in the well even though they had all been a part of that and we thought oh you know the curse is lifted now no (laughs) you didn't actually you didn't actually solve the final puzzle and i think that that what is what makes it so effective because if we look at uh horror movie tropes it's like they're either like completely incompetent and can't think with any amount of age like they, they they just aren't aware of the situation that they're in and even beyond that they make choices that no uh no human in fight or flight mode would make and um in this case you were there you were there when we played uh uh until dawn until dawn right and it just literally the beginning of that game it's like i get dropped off to spend a weekend with my friends and it's really dark and it's like snowing and there are no phones i'm literally in like this spooky dark forest 
walking up to the lodge and it's completely silent. I don't turn around and get back on the bus. I'm, I'm sitting there like, please just turn, leave I- immediately. No question. Like, sorry, guys, I got there and you weren't there to meet me. Mm-hmm. And it was snowing and icy and there were no phones. And I decided to leave before I died. Yeah, I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather freeze to death trying to find like a way out than <laughs> freeze to death. Like you like slip and sliding my way up the mountain to be eaten by a bear. Or in this case, what were the fucking monsters in this? Uh, weren't they Wendigos? I guess, yeah. Sorry for Until Dawn spoilers, I guess, kind of. Whoops. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah, Until Dawn was an interesting experience because it did have a certain amount of awareness of tropes, especially characters like Sam, who was sort of like the final girl. And like there there were a lot of characters in that in that game who were like semi savvy, but semi savvy. Just kind of lampshading it. But you can't you can't lampshading isn't solving a problem. So it's like it it felt cheaper almost. It's like, oh yeah, this character is too smart to do it, but she does it anyway. Except for the uh, what was her name? Who the the like hot bitchy one eric not erica anyway er- yeah whatever her name was she was the <laughs> like she that. was she was great the narrative set her up as extremely bitchy and i was like well i love her now again like yeah. you're gonna again yeah the bitchy hot girl but like mm. uh, i loved her <laughs> i loved her and she was like awful and i loved her and she was so smart and she was like one of the only people like she had the flare gun she she was one of the only people who acted in a way that was how a smart person who is, is fairly self-assured and thinks on their feet. Somebody was like, man, I'm in a horror movie and I want to live. Where's the flare gun? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to live, actually. I'll kill all of you to get out of here. It's like it's fucking Saw. <laughs> <laughs> she probably would. She was actually a nice girl, but yeah, it, it was an interesting thing to, 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 to like horror and romance. Uh, and I think mystery to an extent too. And there's some crossover with mystery and horror, but like those tropes and those beats are so well known that you have to be aware that the audience can already see what you're doing. You can't just pay lip service and be like, you know, oh, <laughs> I guess in romance, it's a little bit more forgiving because everyone's going to be like, there's only one bed. <laughs> like, <laughs> whereas, whereas in a horror movie, it's like, oh, yeah. The only way they can go is in that old cave. Mm, I guess they don't have their tetanus shots. It's not. We all know what's going to happen in that cave. And we all know what's going to happen in that bed. But it has a more positive connotation. (laughs) Maybe we don't know what's going to happen in that bed. Maybe they're going to lie awake, (laughs) completely bored. Maybe they'll just sleep. Maybe they'll literally just sleep. Like Maybe they'll be like, man, this is comfy. Good night. Yeah. Oh, I slept really well. How'd you sleep? Yeah, pretty good. I had bad dreams, nice. but it was fine. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. I thought we were going to do like the, the seminal, the iconic sharing a, a bed because the motels. Oh, we're so close. <laughs> if I just stretched over a little, we'd be touching. No, actually, I just went to sleep. I see the shape of them in the covers and it's like they're. Oh, the warmth of their body. <laughs> yeah, it's like the dip of them, the weight of them, the presence of them in the bed and the sound of their breathing. And I'm just like. Oh, I'm covered in tingles. <laughs> it's like, are they snoring? Like. <laughs> Are they asleep already? Oh my god, and that's when they, you learn that they snore real bad. Oh god, yes. Oh god, I would die in that circumstance. <laughs> we record this podcast any longer, I'm not going to get to the gym tonight. Daddy so. needs to go to that gym. Daddy, daddy's got to flex. <laughs> Gains before, uh, I don't have anything to rhyme with gains. Waits before, no. Waits before mates. Ah, there you go. Got it. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, if you would like to continue this conversation on Twitter, you can find us. I am at Amanda H. Jean. Uh, and for the thrilling uh, uh, conclusion to these snoring tales, you can find me <laughs> at Austin Chanted. Thank you so much for listening. This episode of The Hopeless Romantic was produced by Daria DeFore and Amanda Jean, with art by Kesey Young and music by Carly Ann Warden. If you want to continue the conversation, follow us on Twitter at The HR Podcast, follow us on Facebook, check out our Patreon, and please rate and review on iTunes if you enjoyed.